CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. We've got an exciting show lined up for you all. Here's what's on tap. You've heard him say it consistently. Rates to zero, precious metal to infinity. Carter Worth has yet more directional data to put his money where his mouth is. Exactly how clever. And tall is a size at Starbucks. Short is Tony Zhang's call on the stock. There's a lot of potential here. He'll show you how to order that in option speak. Finally, speaking of... So I think this is an interesting setup. As Al Pacino said in the movie Any Given Sunday, football is a game of inches. Well, options trading is very similar in terms of measurements. Coach Cole gives us the hard knocks pep talk. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. Rates getting wrecked today with the three and five year yield hitting fresh all time lows as investors turn to the bond market amid stock volatility and uncertainty around recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. And our chart master, Carter Worth, says the bond yield breakdown is only just getting started. So, Carter, what are you looking at? Yeah, it's a big old mess. I mean, uh, every year, for year after year, the consensus is that rates will go higher and doesn't seem to happen. We started the year at 2% on the 10-year, and here we are. Anyway, a couple of charts, one of four. Take a look at the yield chart. So this is 10-year yields, of course, and what we know is, again, we started at about 195, uh, and here we are at 64 basis points. Yes, the March low is at 31.3 basis points, but here we are, and I think we're breaking down, and you can see the, uh, the annotations there. We are moving below the lower side of the wedge, and uh, everything would indicate lower yields from here. Uh, the price itself, chart two, this is the bond uh, traded in Chicago, right? The actual 10-year treasury. And it is, of course, the reciprocal. We are breaking out to the upside of this formation, and there's every indication that, that there's more to come. Uh, buy bonds, yields go lower. Chart three of four, this is the TLT, the ETF. Of course, it's the iShares 20-plus year treasury bond ETF, simple TLT, and you can see it's an identical formation to uh, the Treasury bond in Chicago. And here, too, breaking out to the upside of the well-defined uh, pennant, flag, wedge, whatever you want to call it, uh, higher. And then I've taken uh, that chart, TLT, on the fourth chart, and pulled it back a bit. And you can see uh, the pennant formation in the context of the past uh, four or five years. So uh, basically a period of equilibrium, a consolidation, and now uh, a reassertion of strength in the direction of the primary trend. All right. Thanks for that, Carter. Lower, oh, sorry. Minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> Mike, what's the trade here? No, no. That's it. Yes. <laughs> so this is an interesting situation, right? Because as Carter was just mentioning, there you know, has long been this sense that the bull market in bonds was going to come to an end, that eventually excessive borrowing was going to lead to higher rates. Of course, all of that presumes that there isn't an incremental buyer for fixed income. And of course, we now know that that's not the case. A big portion of Treasury issuance, for example, is being picked up and put on the Fed's balance sheet. So essentially, the longer rates can be controlled for as long as that remains true. 
Besides all of that, of course, we have an economic backdrop that is otherwise going to be deflationary. So this is a circumstance where we wouldn't expect to see longer-term rates necessarily go a whole lot higher anyway. So while I probably have been among those that thought that rates were going to go higher if you took, you know, look back about 24 months, I think this situation is quite different now. I think the way to play this is to make a bullish bet on TLT. I was looking out to August, the 166-172 call spread. You could spend $3.65 to buy those 166 strike calls and then sell the 172s against it net-net. You're going to spend about $1.90. Now, that's a little bit more than I might otherwise normally spend on a vertical spread. We usually are looking to spend about 25%. This is slightly over 30 But this is a circumstance also where there is probably at least some level uh, right around that 175 level. I think Carter can probably speak to this. You know, we got up to about 172 in the TLT, the, the Treasury ETF. There is going to be at least some level where you can sort of expect to see rates go lower, but I don't anticipate negative. And that essentially is what creates that ceiling on where the TLT could go. I think this is a way to play it. Obviously, we've seen a little bit of volatility in TLT since March, but this is a way that you can risk relatively little of the cost of TLT to make a bullish bet on it here. What do you think of this trade, Tony, and what are your thoughts in general about you know, making this directional bet on bonds? This is effectively a call on the markets as well. Yeah, absolutely, because it's very hard to fight the Fed and certainly very, very hard to argue against rates going to zero, especially with equity markets being fairly skittish. And if you look at the VIX, the VIX has been elevated above 30 for two weeks now, telling us there's a lot of fear in the equity markets. And I think that is part of why we're seeing this rally here in TLT. What I specifically like about Mike's trade here is that he's risking only 1% of the ETS value to take this bullish bet. And my targets here on TLT at the upside are around 168, 170. And I think those line up very well with the strikes on his call vertical here. Carter, earlier this week, you published on gold. You came to Fast Money. You walked us through that trade and why you're so bullish on gold. Um, forced to choose. Some circles we call it would you rather. Uh, gold or bond, which one are you more convicted on? Well, if you really get into the crazy stuff, um, no one can manipulate gold, not even the Federal Reserve. Uh, so I will go with gold if would you rather is the question. <laughs> Mike, last word. Yeah, I wouldn't say would you rather because I'm actually long silver, I'm long gold, mm -hmm. and I would be short rates. I mean, I think this is a trade that you want to play as many ways as you can. All right. Meantime, let's check out shares of Starbucks. They cooled off this week in a major way as a surge in coronavirus cases in some states quickly turned reopening hopes into reclosing fears. Tony Jang says this could be the start of a venti-sized breakdown in the stock. So, Tony, over to you. What do you see? Yeah, I think Starbucks has a pretty challenging environment ahead. So if we first take a look at the chart here, the stock managed to break out above its $72 level back here in April and has just completed a head and shoulders formation and just today broke down below that $72 neckline. And if you couple that with the recent relative strength as is underperforming the consumer discretionary sector, those two things do not bode well, especially if it breaks, especially as it breaks below the $72 level here. So I'm targeting Starbucks to go down to about 65 and extended targets to 57 to the downside. Now, the company did provide guidance here a couple of weeks ago, and there's a couple of things in those guidance in that guidance that concerns me. First of all, 95% of stores are now reopened. So the cost of operating those stores are going to be substantially higher 
given the current environment that we're in to keep their customers and their employees safe. And I think it's going to be met with fairly tepid demand for their products because if you think about it, we now have 30 million unemployed and for those of us that are lucky to be gainfully employed, we're mostly working from home and they generate most of their sales from the morning commute and most of us are not commuting. So. You couple that with the fact that they are also providing guidance that they expect in Q4 they're going to start seeing positive EPS. I think that's fairly optimistic, and I'm concerned that that's going to be revised lower in the coming months. So for those reasons, the fundamental backdrop and the fact that you have a technical chart that looks fairly weak, I'm looking for Starbucks to move substantially lower here. So the, tr- the trade that I'm looking to go to use is to go out to August, and I'm looking to buy the 72 and a half, 62 and a half put vertical here. I'm spending about $4.80 for that 72 and a half put, collecting about $1.58 for the uh, 70, 62 and a half put, spending about $3.27 here, risking about 4.5% of the underlying stock price to take this bearish bet that Starbucks could hit roughly 65 or potentially even 57 to the downside by August. Mike, your thoughts on Tony's thesis and the trade? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely on board with his thesis. I mean, let's also bear in mind, you know, we're, we're just thinking about this in a U.S. context, but, you know, one of the things that we obviously should be taking a look at, too, is what's going on internationally. Maybe in China, this is another area where we're beginning to see things slow down. Now, it's not the most material portion of their revenues just yet, but that was an area of significant growth, and so that's obviously troubling. The other thing, I think, is that the structure is one that makes sense. Why is that? Because the stock has already been relatively hard hit, Implied volatility is higher, so we want to mitigate some of that. And, of course, we do still have some downside. So using a put spread makes sense for a lot of these reasons. You wouldn't want to short the stock here. Today was a good example of the kind of volatility the market is still exhibiting. You want to try to avoid that. So I think the structure is right. I think the trade is right. The levels Tony is, is aiming for, uh, Carter, does that line up with your chart work? Sure. I mean, he discussed the chart, and it's exactly right. I mean, this is one of the worst patterns in the market. I think the, the real problem here, of course, is we know the equity market peaked on February 19th. Starbucks actually peaked last summer in July. And on the low in March, it was down 50%, meaning it's not a safe haven. It's not like, oh, people buy their coffee. This is exactly the opposite. And then finally, of the marquee stocks that drive the consumer discretionary sector, Starbucks' relative performance to Nike, to McDonald's, to Amazon, to Home Depot, its other big sort of idiosyncratic peers, if you will, it's the worst single one. Last word, Tony. Yeah, so Mike brings up a really good point. China is a big part of their strategy to grow, but China right now is only accounting for less than 20% of their revenue, and they've had to delay a lot of their store openings that they have planned over the next couple of years as a result of the coronavirus. So for all of these reasons, I'm not bullish here on Starbucks. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, your shoes, your pants, your option strategies. The right size fits. The wrong size can cause you to trip and fall. Professor Cole helps you measure up. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket. Grab your phone and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. There has been increased short-term retail participation in our markets. And when I see that, it concerns me. I want... uh, It concerns me that people do not know the risks they're taking. These are sophisticated products that have um, risks that may not be apparent. And um, you should be you should be quite cautious in trading with leverage. Welcome back to Options Action. That was SEC Chairman Jay Clayton testifying before the House yesterday on the risks inexperienced investors may be unknowingly taking by trading derivatives like options. And you may be asking yourself, why should I trade options and when and how? Luckily, Professor Mike Coe has got some answers. He's here with his call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so one of the things that we often talk about on this is that options can be used to either risk less or, or make more. And I think sometimes there's a perception that they, people don't really understand how it is that you might risk less. There's a couple ways that you can. Here's one of them. For one thing, you can invest less capital to make a directional investment. So if you're trying to be long a stock or short a stock, you can put less capital at risk if you want to do that. There's another thing you can do, and that is depending on the trade structure, you can improve the probability that the trade will be profitable. You can make it so that you have more than a 50-50 chance. The one thing that's really important, though, for investors when they start to do this is just make sure that you size your trade appropriately. So I was going to compare three different ways to play an investment thesis in Microsoft that compares two different options structures to actually going out and buying the stock. So Microsoft is going to be reporting earnings on July 17th. So that's about 21 days from today. And August expiration is about five weeks after that. So what are a couple different ways someone could play a bullish thesis? Well, one thing you could do, obviously, is buy 100 shares of Microsoft stock. When I was looking at that, it was about $198 a share you would be putting $19,800 to work to make that bullish thesis uh, investment. The other thing you could do is you could sell a July 195 put for $10 because each put represents 100 shares. You would be collecting $1,000. Now, the risk here, of course, is that the stock declines and you'd be forced to buy it at 195. But net of the premium you're collecting, you're actually only risking $18,500, so less than buying the stock. What else could you do? You could also buy an August 195 210 call spread. That would cost about $500 to buy one contract representing 100 shares. You're risking 500 to make 1,000. Now, it's really interesting if you take a look at these three strategies and go back more than a decade's worth of earnings and assume you had used trades like these every time you were going to do it. It turns out that if you had bought the stock three weeks prior to earnings, every earnings for the last 11 years, and sold it five weeks later, you would have averaged about 3.7%, but you would have had a worst case loss of almost 11% in one instance. Your best profit would have been close to 21. Selling the put, you actually would have only lost 4.7% in the worst case. You would have averaged 3.3% returns, and you would have won 84% of the time, significantly better than the 68% of the time you would have won if you had done the stock side. Now, if you use the call spread, the returns would be lower still. You would have averaged about 1.8% of the current stock price in profits. You would have won 64% of the time, but your worst case loss would have only been 2.5% of the current stock price. So all of these trades 
you know, they're all making the same directional investment bet on Microsoft, a bullish bet going into earnings. But the options trades are actually risking less than the stock does. The trade-off that you're making is you don't have quite as much upside. But that's the, basically the flexibility that options offer. You can risk less. You can improve your probability of profit. You're just going to squeeze the balloon of risk and reward a little bit. And you're going to sometimes give up some upside in order to improve your odds and reduce your risk. Tony, your thoughts? Yeah, Melissa, I really think of options action as a platform for us to educate and advocate for the responsible use of options. And Mike laid out some great examples of how you can utilize options to reduce risk and not add any risk to your portfolio. And for those of you that watch this show week after week, you might notice that Mike and I, we generally only refer to the risk of every single trade. We never really talk about how much money we can make because we can't control the markets. We can't control how much money we can make. We can control how much risk we take. And options is a fantastic tool that we utilize for our trading to control that risk. And I just want to create a a bit of a counterpoint to Mike's example here because these are strategies that Mike and I may trade in in our accounts. But every investor has a different risk tolerance. And if you look at options, it runs a very wide spectrum of different risk rewards and probabilities profits that you can take. So it's important to understand where you certainly you sit or where you prefer to sit on that spectrum. So Mike created a few examples, but perhaps other investors want to take on high amounts of risk. Maybe you like buying those really far out of the money calls and puts. The one thing to remember is that when you're trading options, there's always a trade-off between risk reward and probability of profit. When you have something with a very high risk reward, it's naturally going to have a very low probability of profit. An extreme example of this is like buying a lottery ticket. A lottery ticket has very low, very high risk reward, but very, very low profit probability of profit. But there's nothing wrong with going out there and buying a lottery ticket. You just want to position your size, your position correctly. So whenever you're choosing an option strategy, think about that both sides of the equation, not just risk reward, not just probability, but how well balanced are they? And if you're on one end of the extreme, make sure that you size appropriately for that. We're spending so much time on this, Carter, obviously because of the rise of the retail trader during this pandemic. We talk about it on CNBC all the time, the activity on Robinhood. uh, And on these sorts of platforms, you can also get involved with options. So do you have any advice for the new people out there? Well, uh, my activity in that world is almost always selling naked calls and puts as strangles. It's the highest risk thing you can do. So do not take advice from me but I like it that way. Okay. All right. All good words of advice, guys. Coming up next, the financial fallout. Why a breakdown in the banks is good news for one of our traders. Plus, we're taking your tweets to send us your questions at Options Action. We'll take some of them on air. We'll be back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Just last week, Tony said Walmart might be the best way to play the consumer trade to the upside. 
long and recently broke below that 120 support level, which is a major level for me. But when I started taking a look at the fundamentals, I actually think the current weakness that we see here is actually an attractive uh, long opportunity here from a risk reward perspective. The strategy I'm looking here is to go out to July. I'm looking at the July 31st 118 puts. By selling that earlier today, I can collect about $2.83. Walmart hung in very well despite this week's swing. So, Tony, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I sold the put because I want to own the stock. So I'm hanging on to this particular trade. I'm hoping that this trade actually gets put to me and I own the stock Walmart at around 115.17, which is the cost basis on the stock ownership here. All right. Also last week, Mike said the Fed's stress test might put the financials under some stress. We're seeing that in many cases, for the banks in particular, the high dividends that they're paying might actually be a little bit higher than what you're going to end up getting if there are some form of dividend cuts, and in some cases, that's what they're implying. I was looking at XLF specifically, the 24-20 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you would spend about $1.15 to buy that put spread. Now, I'd point out that actually XLF was below that 24 strike, so it's slightly in the money. Well, the XLF fell more than 3% today. Mike, your trade slipped into the green, so what are you doing? Yeah, I think the answer here is to take the August 24 puts that we own and roll them down to the 21s. When I was looking at this just close to the close, by doing that trade, you could take in a $1.25 in premium. And, of course, that's going to be a modest profit on the $1.15 that we took. But here's the thing we're still going to be long the 21-20 put spread. So we basically have taken all the initial capital that we put to work here off the table. We've also booked a small profit, and we still have a bearish position that can profit still further if XLF sees further weakness. Yeah. Carter, what do you see in the charts for financials? I mean, it's a, it's a disaster. Uh, and, and frankly, the correlation between financials and Royal Caribbean, Royal Caribbean and American Airlines, between that and Exxon, it's all the same. These are weak areas of the market that had impressive but short-lived rebounds, and most of the rebounds have failed. All right, let's keep the ball rolling here. Take some of your tweets out there. First viewer asks, sometimes the brainiacs will suggest altering a position by rolling off or rolling it up or down. Can you explain that, please? Mike, you actually just talked about that. What do you mean, brainiac? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So what are we talking about? When we talk about rolling a position, we're talking about how we adjust a position we already have in place to take advantage of or to account for a recent market move. Here we had the put spread on in XLF. It moved lower. The put that we were long is now well in the money. And so we are selling the one that we owned and buying one that is now out of the money, the 21 strike put. By doing that, we're able to reduce the risk of the existing position while still maintaining some of the basically bearish direction that we like. So rolling is adjusting your position. All right. Our next viewer asks, with the uncertainty of states reopening, COVID-19 cases rising in the market at its current levels, would an SPY 280 August put spread be good protection for my portfolio? Tony, why don't you take that? Yeah, so I took a look at this earlier right at the close. The the August 280 puts were trading at about a 28 delta, which means that if you buy these puts, you're getting about a quarter of the hedge to the downside. So that's my concern. I would use a slightly higher put, like 295. All right. Final call time. Carter Worth, what do you say? Buy bonds, buy gold. Tony. I don't think consumers are going to continue to buy $5 lattes. Short Starbucks by buying a put vertical. Mike. 
Long TLT. Rachel, going lower. That does it for us. Next Friday, the markets are closed by. They will be back in two weeks at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, special edition of Fast Money begins right after this break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.